Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Presidential signing statements have traditionally been a form of what Slate senior editor Dahlia Lithway calls benign executive branch throat clearing. Presidents use them to elucidate their views on legislation without bearing any actual legislative weight. But since coming to office, President Bush has been unambiguous about his intent to interpret how new laws are to be executed, refusing to enforce, for example, certain provisions that he determines to be unconstitutional. What are the legal implications of the president's use of signing statements? University of Chicago law professor and Cato adjunct scholar Richard Epstein has the answers. What purpose do presidential signing statements serve? A lot of it depends on who the president turns out to be. Traditionally, their purpose was to thank various kinds of supporters, to indicate the importance of the legislation for the future of America, and similar kind of ceremonial functions. Uh, With George Bush, the game seems to have changed a bit, and he uses it to say, I'm signing the legislation, but I want you to know I think some portions of it may be unconstitutional, other portions of it I don't intend to follow, and so forth. So he is trying to use it to reshape the legislation. The traditional view was you either go up or down with a veto or a signature. He's trying to be able to pick and choose amongst the various parts of these statements, and I think it's probably a fairly worrisome precedent. Bush's use of signing statements seem to catch the public by surprise, but have lawyers ever advocated for such use before? I'm sure lawyers have advocated for just about anything at any time, but I think that there was some of this perhaps during the Clinton administration, but it certainly has spiked up very sharply. There is, a in, the, in this particular president, a very powerful agenda to assert his independent and autonomous authority over large numbers of areas, including military actions and foreign affairs, and the use of the presidential statement is designed to advance that agenda. Thus far, it has failed miserably, I'm happy to say, in the courts, but that doesn't mean that he's going to give up continuing to try. As you write in your recent op-ed for the Chicago Tribune, there is nothing new about a president adding a statement on signing to legislation he has approved. What's different about presidential signing statements today? Well, the question is, in this case, is have you approved the legislation in its entirety, or have you tried to reserve special kinds of options from it? And it seems as though the Bush strategy is to say, I'm signing this statement, but I want you to know that to the extent that it's inconsistent with my exclusive and inherent authority, I'm not going to follow it. So these are, in effect, partial affirmations of the legislation. They are not, in effect, complete acceptance of the terms under which Congress has acted. Do the statements have any effect on policy? Any time a president says anything, including boo in the morning, it's going to have an effect on policy because he speaks uniformly for the executive branch. Uh, more importantly, if a, an inferior officer in the executive branch has to decide whether or not to follow the president's version of the legislation or the text of the statute, there's going to be a lot of temptation inside the executive office to follow what the president says. And it's a very difficult task to try and correct that by going to court all the time he deviates from uh, congressional or legislative standards. The president has made it clear that he will not enforce laws that he determines to be unconstitutional. He voices intent to interpret the McCain torture bill in precisely this way. Do you find this in itself to be an unconstitutional expansion of executive power? Unfortunately, I I do. Uh, The president certainly has some discretion in how he executes policy, but the constitutional mandate on him says he shall take care to see that the laws are faithfully executed. And unless he could explain in very compelling terms why it is that the McCain Act or anything else is unconstitutional, he's going beyond his scope. The constitutional design did call for an energetic executive, 
but it was an energetic executive in implementing the policies created by others, not the policies that he himself decides to create. Interestingly, Bush has yet to use his executive veto power. Uh, one of the great problems about this presidency is that any time an expenditure bill comes forward, so long as it's endorsed by Republicans, the president finds it perfectly congenial. And this is just another illustration of the fact that pork barrel politics are not simply consigned to one side of the aisle and that the Republicans and the Democrats differ not in their devotion to limited government, neither of which has that, but only in the question of who are going to be the objects of their largesse. What kind of precedent has Bush set in his use of presidential signing statements for future administrations? The precedent here is really very disturbing. What's good source for the goose is source for the gander, and if a Republican president can do it in one fashion, a Democratic president could do it in another. Uh, the difficult thing about George Bush is he takes a lot of fragile constitutional conventions that have been well accepted, and he constantly pushes and twists them in order to gain short-term partisan advantage. And once you set a precedent in that fashion, everybody else is sure to imitate. This is not the way in which we would like to see an administration run. Whether you agree with the president on policy matters or not, the important thing to understand in these cases is that they're important matters of constitutional principle, which, while they may seem small in the particular case, are very large when it's looked at over the long span of time. What are the implications of this for the FISA dispute? In one sense, there are no implications at all. The FISA is a long-established statute from 1978. There's nothing that this president can do through a signing statement to alter it. But on the other hand, Pfizer has been attacked by the Bush administration on the ground that it trenches his inherent and exclusive executive authority under Article II of the Constitution. And to the extent that he has used signing statements in order to bolster that particular claim, it's quite clear that this is one way of making an indirect attack on Pfizer. Uh, in my own view, that this ought to be futile. Uh, the question of whether or not Congress has the power to make regulations for the government of war is well established. It's right there in the middle of Article I of the Constitution. In addition, the president's argument about his role as commander-in-chief and chief executive officer have been rebuffed at least twice by the United States Supreme Court in the Hamdi and the Hamdan decision. And one of the worrisome things about this administration is even when it loses, it always finds a way to pretend that it wins. And, and one just hopes that it doesn't come to a real knuckle-versus-knuckle knuckle kind of fight. Uh, but Bush seems to be spoiling for that, and he's the kind of guy who's beaten on the table uh, when you're playing poker, and nonetheless he insists on betting. It's really a rather bizarre performance. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.